Welcome to the PT Project Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm your host, James. We know that biomechanics can seem like a complicated and confusing field, but it really doesn't have to be. Join us every Thursday as we explore various topics related to biomechanics, human movement, and what it means to be a great PT in general. In other words, let us help you make sense of this wonderful world so that you can become the best trainer you possibly can be. So welcome, Cal, to our first in-person podcast. Welcome to your own home. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome home. (laughs) Your own home. Thanks for having us. (laughs) It's a privilege. Pleasure to be joined by you. We're going to delve back into some childhood and see trauma (laughs) see what we can find my dad's actually gonna come in like an hour so we've got your brother coming we've got your dad coming everyone to to rock up here the whole family it's like an intervention this beats meet your life this is your life what was that show called (laughs) i can supply some pictures to Gigi of you were 65 kilos wet through yes (laughs) when you first dieted but we're gonna first coach jimbo was telling me about this the other day actually of uh i've got the first photos of cal before even he started dieting, I'm like, if they have to feed, have you found those yet? We'll dig them out. There we go. Yeah, we're going to find. Don't worry those. about that. Yeah. The thing that shocked me the most is the fact that someone looked like they're sitting on the floor taking them. Yeah. <laughs> Only later did I realise that. <laughs> Cal, oh, that was Cal's six four. <laughs> Hannah's five foot one foot tall four, yeah four <laughs> foot nine and just was taking them and just proportionally so <laughs> oh dear just a yeah. groin heavy shot is basically yeah. what i'm imagining here <laughs> okay let's get to business yeah Cal, yes what makes you successful Ooh. that's what we're going to start with open end what is okay let's what is success to cow then what does success look like what does success look like um uh, from a from a business perspective, it's uh, because I've found myself moving into. I guess before it was the the results and the caliber results I was getting with clients, and now because that's transferred to coaching athletes and coaching competitors, it's now it's it's now more so like the competitive accolades and the wins and people succeeding on stage. So, um, as fun, funnily enough, I don't really I don't really see success anymore from a financial perspective it's more so like uh the impact i'm having with my athletes on the industry and in the in the sectors they're competing in if that makes sense um that still sounds like results it's results right it's just switched closer the cameraman's in hello (laughs) it just sounds like the 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 sort of definition for you of what a successful result is has shifted somewhat but it's still driven by that yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's client orientated, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. that's like the that's like proof of pudding, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know if your clients are succeeding, then you're going to succeed off the back yeah, end of that. Yeah, so their result by default, dictate, pretty much, yeah, yeah. dictate yours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Was that like a conscious thing that changed over time to move more and more towards bodybuilding? Like, did you have that from the start, or did that just evolve somewhat naturally, or some combination? Um, I think. Well, even when you were, let me turn that on silent. Amateur hour. Check-ins. <laughs> Even when you were coaching me before, obviously the my my passion was like was phys- physique orientated. But obviously, when we were at when we were at M10, the people that you were working with weren't necessarily that exact demographic. They just had like body composition orientated goals. And then obviously, over time, it went from 
coaching gem pop to coaching coaches to coaching coaches who competed to then just coaching competitors and obviously the caliber of the the caliber of the individual just kind of like gradually lifted up over time in terms of what they could achieve themselves you know within their genetic genetic capacity and then it kind of if you know it, it ended up moving into you know these guys are doing well because i'm I've got better as a coach, but I'm also coaching people who have a lot of potential as well. I think that's the main difference. Yeah. So looking back, even you mentioned obviously about M10 there. Yeah. Was there goals? Was there vision? Was there aspirations to have, okay, I want X amount of um, IFBB pros that I'm working on. I want X amount of people on an Olympia stage. Even at that point then, were you thinking that big or was that not even a vision you're like i'm just going to work my ass off and see what happens i didn't i didn't have the vision in my head it was more so just like take it day by day yeah yeah and, and like that's key because so many people say you need a five-year goal you need a 10 you need okay where are you going to be in five years? i don't, I don't think i've ever set even a one-year goal that's, you, you, you <laughs> I mean, can't it shows, envision uh, like we don't know where we're going to be in five years ten years nah. but so many different mentors or books or things you read like oh yeah okay you got to map out this next five-year journey mm. and like i'm as you just said you couldn't envision where you're going to be back then mm. you just got to get your head down like seize, right. seize the day isn't it yeah. i think if i if i start thinking i've always had the mindset of if i start thinking too far in the future like what I foresee as possible now is going to be very different to what I foresee as possible in five years time. Yes. So it's like, I almost think if you set five year targets, it could be underselling yourself. Yeah. Because if I, you know, five years ago when we were at M10, I'd never think I'd be in this position. I'd be like, oh, I want to coach, you know, this many people, I want to do that. But then I just think it's like, just seize, seize, seize the day and work, work your ass off and then the, the rest will come from there. Have you found like a balance in that case of going, some planning into the future is obviously essential with yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Have you got a sense or is it just something you don't really think about and it comes quite naturally of how far is the right amount to think in advance versus how far is just like, I have no idea and I don't care about thinking that far in advance? Uh, I guess I guess you could say um, the amount of planning is more so like, you know, the, the clients that you've got at that given moment is like taking them through their individual processes and that's going to be a little bit of planning in the future. But then obviously once that's done, it's then right, then it's the next client that needs to do this or it's the continuation of those individual journeys. Like that's pretty much as far as I'd, I'd take it. But that's again, it's results driven, isn't it? It's just, it's the timelines leading to a result and then it's repeat the process. Yeah. So obviously you've, you've touched on back at M10, which we sound five, six years ago, yeah. something like that now. And your your work ethic to know that, okay, You've got to work 20-hour days you spoke about before mm. where Hannah's goes to bed, <laughs> you sit Shout with her for half an hour, staying with me. And then you stay up for three hours and then crack on and get four hours sleep and then crack on. We're like, we know about your work ethic now. I'm not going to like delve into how that looks. Mm. But if we take things back 15 years, mm. Cal is a teenager, Cal at school, <laughs> what laid the foundations for who you are now back then? Uh, 20 hour days as a teenager <laughs> so, so, on the xbox so, <laughs> so so the work ethic the drive and where you're at now and what's potentially going to come over these next few years yeah going back to when you were 10 years old 15 years old what laid the foundations then for the callum race street we know now um so like my but my family is like heavily sport orientated so my dad and my brother used to play like very high level sport and they're both, you know, ac they're both academics. They've got like, they're really good at sport and they're both really good at, you know, academia. 
Um, I think maybe sometimes because my brother's like four, four or five years older than me. He was always incredibly good at any sport he did, hockey, football, rugby, what a cricket, whatever it is. Played for England for, for rugby. He was super smart at school. So when he was like four or five years older than me all the time, that was like the pedestal of like what you should be doing. But I was never really there. I was never that smart. I was never that good at sport. So like, I guess I spent my pretty much my entire childhood seeing that and thinking, oh, like I'm w- waiting for my opportunity to like fulfill those shoes. And then obviously when we fell into, I don't want to say fell, because I was always interested in this, you know, moving into this kind of sector and industry. But once I finally got that opportunity to start moving in that direction in terms of like excelling at something, I was like, I've got to go all in because I've seen that happen for the last decade of my life. So, yeah, I mean, so did that feel, were you aware of that through what the whole kind of teenage years of being like, I'm not quite living up to that? Did you, because... I suppose for many people that could almost go in a couple of different ways, right? Mm. It comes either crap, I have to prove myself or, oh, there's just no point and I'll really shrink into my shell. And you mm. sort of somehow managed to do this cool success thing in a different field. And, it, you know, when when I listen to you talk about this, it doesn't sound like I felt this imposing pressure and need to kind of prove or live no, up to that. I just think it's because I, I'd, I'd seen that with John for so long that it's like, it's... um it didn't make me feel it didn't make me feel like negative about myself mm. because I didn't really have like aspirations to I hadn't like found my why yet if that makes sense I was just right. being a teenager or going to university and having a good time but then because I'd seen that in both of those you know both of those past even my dad or my my brother it's like once you get your opportunity it's almost like it's it's almost like being bred into you without really realizing mm. and then it's like well I know it's almost like in my genes like I've seen them do it so I'll just do the same so you saw like the work ethic yeah. and everything that they both and that put rubs in off on and you. that rubbed even off on you. Even if it's, even if it's not something you do at that given time, it's almost like being bred into you because you've been around that for such a long period of time. How quickly into like starting to lift stuff did you go, oh, this might be my why? Uh, uh, that was probably, I went to Hartbury College for university, played rugby for two years, realized I wasn't that good at rugby started going to the gym more than I was playing rugby. <laughs> did stop playing <laughs> did rugby. Did you get into the gym because of rugby? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was like a uh, year 11, six form at school. Yeah. And I'd like, I'd trained for an hour in the, we went to a school called Lincoln Minster in, uh, in, uh, Lincoln and, um, in Lincoln, funnily enough. <laughs> I enjoyed that part. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I used to go to the gym and train at the rugby club for like an hour before we used to do rugby practice. And like, you know, you get like the feel good of like, oh, this is actually pretty cool to be fair. Yeah. And then, um, I think like that led to that one, one thing led to another, Went to university thinking I'll study a little bit and I'll play rugby and just have a good time. Realized like it was a really good standard of rugby and it's like, I'm never going to be good at this. So then started training more. And then I guess like one thing led to another. Obviously when you start PTing, you have to do the whole diploma, you know, you know, do a, do a, like a six week course, I think it is, or an eight week course where you just teach someone how to go on a treadmill. Um, (laughs) Did that. (laughs) And then uh, started working at LA Fitness and then that like one thing led to another. I did actually find... I was going to say, before you started at LA Fitness, didn't you work in London? So this is the funny thing. So I worked at LA Fitness and then I I gave up personal training after four or three or four months. I did not know this. And then went into recruitment for six months thinking I'm going to now go to this like corporate life. One of my brother's uni mates was um, working at Michael Page in Holborn in London. And I was like, it's like you get, you know, you get your 
every single month you're getting a consistent salary. It's like, it's secure, it's safe. So I was like, because oh. the gym, it was like, I was working hours on the gym, gym, uh, the gym desk, I was doing classes. You know, when you first start out and it's like mate or break mm-hmm. yeah. and you're not hitting targets and you're not, you're not really working with people you really enjoy working with. What classes were you running? This is the main thing I want to know. Right? <laughs> I didn't ask. Tell me you did. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I did a, I did a, I did a Zumba class. I didn't really want someone a, who was there a, in that class to reach out at did, some point. Um, I didn't do spin because I didn't get the qualification. But you were qualified for Zumba. Body combat I did, and an ab attack. <laughs> nice. It's like a half Very an nice. hour. There'll be like forty women in there who are yep. all mums, and like I'd just go and just make stuff up on the spot. I um, I would pay good money for that Zumba footage. <laughs> I did Zumba for like three months. So you oh, did wow. three four months there. Just great vining. Failed. Basically failed, yeah. Yeah, f- failed. Because it was Went like, to get I, was, a corporate I, job. I was living in Tunbridge Wells. I was living with, with my parents after I'd moved back from uni, paying to get the training to Tunbridge Wells, paying for gym rent, working on the gym hours, yeah. doing personal training, but doing like 10 to 12 hours a week. And I was seeing like, you're making like 150 quid a week and spending 100 of it trying to get to the gym. So it's like, realistically, I'm seeing these people in London making, it wasn't much, but it was consistent. And it was, it was it a was, lot more than you were making. It was safe as yeah. well. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I saw that as a bigger opportunity. I'm going to try this. Um, and then absolutely hated it. Just despite <laughs> so that every was three, minute. four months there. Then you went I did, back I, I did same, Michael Page for five months yeah. and then went back to the same gym. Yeah. And what was the difference second time around? Um, because I kind of like, I saw how much I didn't like the corporate. Like, Cause it was like, I, I would get to my desk at, you know, 8.30 a.m. in in Holborn in uh, Victoria House, I think the building was called. Massive, huge, massive office. It was like Wolf of Wall Street of recruitment. And um, that was the first thing that came into my head when you yeah. said you went into recruitment. I was like, imagine Carlos, Jordan Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> just throw in a dwarf. <laughs> um, I just realized like I just can't, I can't live that lifestyle. Because I was counting down the hours until I go to the gym. I go to Gym Box in Holborn, which was yeah, like yeah. a nightclub at, at night. I used to work at the Gym Box in Farringdon. Yeah. Which is- near to the home one. and uh used to train at like 7 30 get an hour an hour's train home walk home get back at 9 p.m go to bed an hour after and then wake up again and it was like i was living for the weekend right it's that it's that whole analogy that everyone talks about that you never experience and then once you experience it you're like oh Can't do this. i don't want to do that yeah. yeah um so went back to Wally fitness for a bit got my old clients back and then there was a gym there was a gym up the road called uh, Halo Gym, it was called at the time. Uh, no, The Gym, it was called. It's now called Halo. You made that sound like it's closed and not called, <laughs> called Halo anymore. It's still it's still Halo, called, Halo. It's called Halo now. It's actually where I first met. This is where I first met, met Luke. And um, that was where you coached me for that photo shoot. That was where I worked for two years. And that was like the first time I'd like got busy as a PT because that's where I started to kind of push a little bit more. I think a big part of that, fun enough, was me moving out of my parents' house. So, so because of that safety net kind of thing? Yeah. Is it, Once you take that underneath you wanna, your feet. If you want to take the island, burn all the boats, like you put yourself in a position where yeah. you, you had to succeed. There was no safety net there yeah, at all. Yeah, Because like you're like not- South you know, American conquistador <laughs> approach. Okay, I like not, it. Uh, <laughs> Tony Robbins just came to my head there. <laughs> right. I know that's a, a Tony Robbins quote, so it just randomly came to my head. Um, you've not, you, like you say, you've not got that safety net. And you, you, I basically like- basically what I do now. Like I just filled my time that I had free with work and then everything consumed that side. And then and had there been like a change in approach? How did you start filling the books from going from that person who was barely scraping? I became that the body composition guy. 
they used to do John Meadows workouts. Yes. And then li- like watch the mountain dog stuff and started to use a couple of those things. And then that's when Joe Bennett first came along on Instagram. Yeah. So I was looking, looking at Instagram thinking, oh, that's different. This is the whole. So what kinda, year is this? 2013, 2014. This would have been when Joe first went to my 40. And he started posting like the crossbody tricep extension. And you do that at the gym. It's like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) But this is like, this is like the introduction into applying exercise exercise mechanics without knowing it. It's like, this feels really good. I don't know why, but it feels really good. (laughs) It's like every single client's now going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julie, crossbody tricep extension. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to put size on my legs. I don't care. Doesn't matter. <laughs> don't care. It's I like good. it. Um, and then, yeah, that that was that was like the introduction into working with more people who were wanted to get in shape, wanted to train well. Um, and then that's where I first started working with you. And then seeing James. Is How did pr- you first come across Jimbo? M10. Yeah. Mm, I think I, I think I actually went to one of the physique camps. Yeah. First, got introduced to you and Mark used to watch like the m10 youtube where there was like three videos and i'd watch it before i trained to like get hyped up, <laughs> get hyped up. james doing like clean and press remember the shoulder work <laughs> yes. yeah um I need to see this yeah we can overlay that yeah. clean yeah. and press <laughs> and uh gordon just raised his eyes because he went that's my job yeah. <laughs> i start to remember it's weird it's weird as it is i start to remember the first time we spoke on the phone when i called you for a consult and i was like i wanted a photo shoot and you were like i was walking well, t- ho- i was walking home you had just finished up at M10, I think, for like a day's work. Yeah. And I called you on your mobile because you sent me your mobile on an email. And I um, that was like the day after I sent you my photos and then we started. Well, you had inquired before that and I turned you down. Because you're impressed. I was in front, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. turned you just down. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have no interest in you. <laughs> I was, four, I was four weeks out or something from competing. <laughs> I remember, yeah. And I was like, I just can't take any, not in yeah. place to take any more clients yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, but you hang around for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and we had like a seven or a nine week prep or something. Nine weeks. It was something tight. Yeah. And I was like, already this is going to be tough. Yeah. Are we going <laughs> to, you've got a lot so to lose. Short. Why, why did why'd you go nine weeks? I can't remember what it was. Oh, it, it was a decent time initially, but then I couldn't start. You, I, was, I think there was like a three week delay because he was in prep and I was yeah. like, I'll just start when you're ready. Yeah. Not knowing like how long it would actually take. Yeah. And then like two weeks later, I was on like a hundred calories a day. Yeah. <laughs> Literally it was like Doing two hours of cardio. You know how aggressive you're gonna go. <laughs> I was like I was like a monk back then, like I would have literally done anything. Yeah. Um but yeah, we did that and then I'd have had a shoot after that, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. And how even just looking at that, how much of that do you think almost sometimes laid the foundations for your mindset of knowing how much you have to push clients? That you were 100%, you yeah. were willing to do anything. Yeah, yeah. That then you know then when you're working with clients yeah. that okay if they want to get to a certain level to a certain stage because you've been there you've done that at that stage it was not about competing it was not about mm. stepping on stage mm. but you know okay i'm willing to put that extra effort in yeah knowing that okay if i'm gonna bring on clients they're gonna to have to do the same yeah a big a big component both in terms of like seeing that seeing that process yourself firsthand and understanding it but also there's that element of like authority after you've done it yeah and then people will start to want to work with you because it's either a photo you've posted or it's like they've seen you go through that and I'm like, I want a bit of that. Yeah. And he knows how to do it. So that's quite a powerful element as well. Do you find it difficult at any point in that transition of going like, I know how hard I can push. This is now starting to mean a lot to me. And yet I'm still working with a whole bunch of people who this doesn't mean that much to those kind of yet. Did you find that difficult? Or did you find that pretty easy and comfortable? That's where M10 came in. Yeah. Yeah. So let's sort of touch on, on that. What made you transition from being in a place where you're comfortable 
30, 40 sessions a week, I'm guessing, at that sort of point at the Allo Fitness. Um, or was it? Was it, it was a, at Halo? Well, this, was the pri- this was at Halo now, yeah. Yeah, so you're in a relatively comfortable position. Like, I was doing like 40, I remember it. I remember telling you it was like 42 hours a week. And that's like, you know, the kind of clients where it's like, they're not going to leave. Yeah. They've been with they you still for years. By, yeah, yeah, by that time, they're sort of bankers. It's, yeah. If you've got that security back, yeah. the thing that you went into London for, now you've got that back to then turn around and be like, okay, I'm going to turn everything down, mm. leave everything I've got to take on a job, take on a position where you're walking into initially nothing. Mm. And it's going to take time to build. What made you think, oh, well, that's fuck also- it, I'm going to go all in. And I'm just to add to that as well. I'm pretty sure you almost turned down the position because of leaving Hannah. Hannah was going to stay. Yeah. And then Hannah decided to come. So just expand on like where your head was that and yeah. why you decided to go all in when you had the security, your missus was there with you and you were like, no, I'm just going to go for it. Even that says one thing and then run off on this because, you know, if you're not familiar with this and you're a younger coach listening, having 40 clients who are never going to leave you could be very like, oh, that's amazing. Mm. But here's one of the things of those clients. They're not the clients who will get you results really. Yeah. Right. That is one of the truths of long-term in-person clients. They really like you. They're happy with what they're doing. And they don't usually, they might get a result early on, but then they're going to kind of hang around that. So that at least to me starts suggesting what Cal is motivated by and interested in even kind of back then. Yeah. That, that the first couple of the the first physique camp and then the the physique camp that I came up to M10 to see you and I got took into the office with you and Mark and you had a chat with me I, Is that I, when we had an interview yeah yeah I Remember stayed I at that grilled you, grilled you on that interview you grilled me yeah <laughs> I had to prepare three what's case a gym studies. Oh. <laughs> um, I was, <laughs> they were taking taking the piss out of me because of what I was wearing what were like, you wearing Your jeans want to be tight <laughs> enough <laughs> in, in that day he was still in a, a rugby tight training yeah. so he had little rugby shorts on yeah yeah oh, he's told me about these the rugby, you'd pt'd me before it was remember the rugby shorts or the the cycle the shorts i forgot about that pt session you sorry PT'd it's just come yeah. to my mind we were on a hat squat 40 kilos 20 kilos aside and cal was going to do a top working set yeah right I'm like what the fuck is what have you been doing during this prep <laughs> come out of that <laughs> prep. absolutely ruined me <laughs> 40 kilos aside, I was like, let's lift some fucking weight. <laughs> yeah. At that that wouldn't make in, it on the gram now. At that moment in time, you'd gone all in on the, the, the tension, the execution, yeah. the feeling, like, the slowing it. I've got to feel it. Everything. Squeeze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually walked in the first day, Dan, Dan Lucia was training PT with you. Yeah. And she was hack squatting like six plates aside. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was like, I can't do less than her. <laughs> She's like a savage. And I was like, right, I'm going to try and do four now. And then, yeah, it went, went from there. But I, I, st- I was staying at that Britannia hotel down the road. I still remember the night we stayed there the night before. And then I, every time like, I went into M10 and was around that environment, it was like nostalgic. I was like, this is where I, this is where I'm meant to be. Um, and like Paul said, it's like you, you bank on, you bank on those clients, but they're also clients that aren't going to continue to take you forwards. It's like, you get your paycheck at the end of the month and it's like you just live comfortably and Tunbridge Wells is like a really cushy place it's like it's just nice it's a nice place to live but it's like if I'm like 21 22 years old and I'm settled down it's like what's going to come of that so I actually took I, I re- rejected the offer of the interview yeah and then Hannah told me to go up and go yeah. for it again yes and then you ended up thankfully saying yes um why did she say you've got to go and do this because I think she saw it as like this is like this is it 
He's like, this, this is your opportunity. She's just trying to get rid of you at that point. That's what <laughs> like, you have to go. I must say. <laughs> she didn't want to come. <laughs> and then like, this was go. like, this was a whole rigmarole of like, her parents like hated me for a couple of weeks because I was like taking their little daughter away from home. She was only 18 yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, and we'd only been together like seven or eight months. And then um, we basically uprooted. I got I got rid of the flat. I was shit. I was I was renting a room in this flat. Got rid of that. Got rid of all my clients. I had like I I used to coach the girl who used to work on reception. So I had one online client when I went to MSN. And what then your, um, what were your first online rates? I think it might have been seventy five pound a month. That was mine. Uh, yeah, yes. seventy five yeah. a month. No, sixty five was my first. So sixty five. <laughs> Um, my my more premium one was eighty five. So ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that was uh, we basically uprooted and we rented a rented a little apartment in. I can't remember what it was. It was the top side of Nottingham, like beyond the uh, square, and um, that was one. That was yeah. That was that. Yeah, and the rest is the rest history. is history. Yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna fast forward a whole whole phase because. Anyone who's listened to this probably knows Yes Cal went to M10, was with the Muscle Mentors, and now Pro Coach. Mm. And something you spoke about before is some key influences, key people within that process. Yeah. I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet or anything. <laughs> Would you say the man sat next to me is but that man? I want to I know within each person that you spoke about. So you spoke about myself, so you're going to talk about me. You said at M10, so you're going to talk about Mark Holes. Yeah, uh, you're going to talk about JP. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're going to talk about Hannah. Yeah. Who else have I missed there in terms of key influences? Oh, Luke. Sorry. Luke. Yeah. yeah. So out of them, was that five people? Mm. You said before that each one of them is a key influence on your journey as you've gone through. Mm. But what is it about them? Whether it's a, a big lesson you've learned, whether it's a, something a personality trait, whether it's something to do with work or business, or within each of them people that have been around you along that process. Is there something you can pick out within each that okay, that's that's really helped me? Um, obviously, from your side, it was the I, I always, whether it was subconscious or conscious. I when I started coaching with you, I always saw that as like he's going to mentor me to be him, if that makes sense. Because I wanted to like emulate everything you were doing when I saw your M10, and um, I was like, I want to work with those kind of people. I want to be as big as him. I was like, he's massive. <laughs> I want to be like that. How does that happen? <laughs> um, and like, I, I just wanted to work in that environment. So obviously the natural step of progression was when that opportunity came around, I was like, well, I've been coached by them, so they're probably gonna consider me for the job and I wanna be in, in the mix there. Um, so that was, you know, from your side, I think it was like seeing your process in terms of how you coached and how you operated and like the standards you, you know, you live by yourself. Um, and, uh, you know, that that was my first glimpse into like how I wanted to coach and who I wanted to, who I wanted to emulate, really. Yeah. yeah. So next we'll take Mark Coles. Mark, I think, was... Obviously, the opportunity for M10 is massive. <laughs> I don't know if this is coming through on the audio. We have Cooper just squeaking nearby. <laughs> so if you see us yeah. smirking and looking down, I'm like, I have no idea if that's coming through on the mic. But <laughs> just like I'm laughing Kinks. at Cal's answer. Lokes, can you call Coops? Can you call Coops? I don't know whether this will be cut, but if it's not, Welcome to Behind the Scenes. It'll be a nice idea. (laughs) (laughs) Can you call Cooper? He's like crying on the microphone. Um, uh, Marks was 
obviously the opportunity that I had at M10 was like, I think that was like the biggest, for my career, it was the biggest kind of like turning point in the direction I wanted to move in. Um, I think when I, when I first worked there, I was like, this could be like, this could be it in terms of like, this is where I'm going to be. But then when I started to kind of get an appreciation over the, like the scalability of you as a coach in terms of like building a business within the business, it's like, I can't stay here forever because I'm always going to kind of be within that framework. And also like, I, I kind of knew that the people within the team as well, all had their own individual aspirations and would eventually, you know, potentially like move on and do their own thing. Um, but I think the, the opportunity or like the, what's the best way of saying it? Like little things like when it's probably cause he just needed a spot, but when Mark was like in prep and he was like, you can train with me. And obviously this is someone I'd watched on YouTube and Instagram for years. So it's like, when he said that, I was like, Oh my God, I'm training with Mark Coles. <laughs> I was like, I'm training legs with Mark Best Coles. Get my rugby shorts out. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to, st- I'm going to get there at 1 PM. I'm going to have my leggings on. I'm going to have my pre-workout <laughs> in my hand. It's like, I'm training with Mark Coles. Um, and then like the little things like that, or like the, the opportunity he gave for me to like um, more swiftly move into teaching on the camps yeah. and like getting, getting in front of coaches, getting in front of, you know, teaching, teaching the, the guys and girls that were coming up. Um, and that kind of nurtured my knowledge, just being around you guys doing what you do, but also it kind of built the authority that it all stemmed from at the start, which was like, you know, every single physique camp that would come through, I'd take 10 clients from. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> but like, it, you know, that's where, that's where you first start to build your network yeah. and you start to get in front of people. And I think because, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I probably wouldn't have done that on my own, if that makes sense. Yeah. But he kind of forced, he gave me the, he dangled the bone and said, this is here if you want it. Yeah, he pushed, he, he pushed, pushed you out there, the right put you in front of the coaches. But that was, that for me, that was obviously something that was massively intimidating at the start. Yeah. But because I was almost forced into that position because he gave me that opportunity, um, that was like a massive part of who I ended up molding into because that was like, the, that was the first step. Yeah, yeah. And that would then fast forward to you leaving M10, start going on to Manchester, but obviously yep. also in line with that was starting other muscle mentors. Yeah. It was obviously initially behind the scenes and stuff yep. with the podcast. Um, and obviously that led to your relationship. I know it started prior to that, but with Luke and the yep. business relationship on there. So what one key lesson or big thing with Luke, do you think it's like, yeah, that was like the one key lesson I've learned from. I think with Luke, what we started, at this, you know, from the, from the, from M10, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to capture in terms of that online audience. You know, I was I was still passionate about teaching, but obviously Luke's main passion was teaching, and then it was like I was coaching a lot. So you blend those two together, and it's a it's a good mix. Um, for me, M10 was like the start of not the start of the end, but it was like the start of the next thing. If that makes sense, because in my head, muscle mentals was the rest of my career. Yes, mm. but this is like it, it it you know it captures our ability to teach. We take a lot of the audience we had at M, had at M10, and they just come with us. Um, and I can still coach the people want to coach and potentially move into even more specific coaching because now we're called the muscle mentors. So everyone that's going to start coaching with us is of a specific demographic. Um, Luke, you know, what myself and Luke did with the podcast and then turning that into the the company was, you know, pretty much the start of the online presence. That was where it all kind of organically grew. Yeah. And that's how I first came across uh, you guys, really, was, was Muscle Mentor's Days yeah. and, and that type of thing. I can't even remember how I first came across you guys, really. 
Did you do an in-person one then? Or did yeah, yeah, yeah. You did, you yeah. Know? First one I think I ever came to was on sleep, uh, menstrual cycle. It was at Third Space. Oh, in, uh, God, I remember uh, that. Canary Wharf. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Two days, was it? I think you Ryan well. had just... Yeah, yeah. Ryan really had just yeah. joined the team. Yeah. Yeah. You three spoke. Ryan just sort of sat there. Yeah. Uh, and then was sort of unveiled at <laughs> various points. Yeah. But yeah, that was the first one, which is what, that. 2018 maybe? Yeah. I reckon. That was when Alex had just started yeah, to Yeah, he just joined as well. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So when Brightman had longer hair, yeah. remember he was there. Yeah. <laughs> so following from then, the next key influence will go in as JP. Your training, your yeah. time with training with him when you were at FLF. So jo- Jordan was um, Jordan was like the bodybuilding version of Mark. Mark was like the PT educator, businessy type person because I was like, I was just watching M10 and watching what he was doing and you know how you know how we were all teaching on the physique camps and stuff like that. Whereas JP was like an an in person eye into you know probably the probably the first time I spent a lot of time around someone who is um pursuing a goal like that themselves and also coaching people who are pursuing goals like that and just who he's associated with like is you know it's jp is like the godfather of bodybuilding in the uk um but with jordan it's like it's also a heavily heavily intense side of him's business related and like he's just you know he's just as savvy from a business perspective as he is as he is a bodybuilding perspective and even more you can even you can see that even more so now so uh i think jordan jordan's um influence was you know the the enlightening from a bodybuilding side not in terms of coaching but also where i could take myself personally in terms of training you know the progression i could make on a personal note which i think did you know did contribute heavily to who i was able to work with because of the authority i could get from you know when i you know when i when i won that show and when i pushed a 300 pound for that first time it's like when you're ticking off these boxes and people are seeing that and witnessing that online it's just authority every single time you do it um and it's like there's a little bit of an element although you never think of it which just sounds so cringe but it's like if you're inspiring people who are trying to achieve the same goals it's like well they're you're building trust there as well it goes back to that original photo shoot you had with myself that that was building authority around a certain audience Mm. but then your audience started to change the people Mm. you were working with started to change so you had to continue to build that authority so it's not a one time i've ticked that box Mm. It's got to be something that, depending on who you're working with, you've always got to be that person that they're looking up to, they aspire to. Yeah. Um, and if you're not there, then you're going to lose that little bit of trust. Yeah. I think yeah. one of the things that keeps coming out is the importance of being actually around people. And so, at least to me, it sounds like a lot of this stuff is almost by osmosis, by sort of being around and just observing and going, yeah. oh, there's another level here. There's another thing I can go to. Yeah. And it's just been... This, I mean, who knows whether it's an unconscious kind of thing, but drive up a ladder of like, oh, this, but I'll take all these things from that. And that's been great. And then on to the next. But, you know, that's a really, I think, interesting and insightful thing. Again, if you're a younger coach or something, listen to this. You don't do any of this alone. Mm. Like we've all met people by going to stuff and hanging out and wanting to be better and then thinking, oh, they're great to hang out mm. with them and be, oh, that, I didn't even know you could do that. And like that, I think is the main thing I'm hearing a lot from you yeah. in that is, that is that. And it wasn't always like that because I remember when I felt like the, the first time when I started working at LA Fitness at the start before I'd stopped and then went back to it, you know, I was of the mindset of it was just hassle to travel and it was hassle to go to that mm-hmm. seminar. And I could yeah. see people doing it, but it's like, <sighs> I'm not going to, it can't be that much value. Like I, I can't spend that much money on that or whatever. And then when I moved to M10 and I was kind of forced out of my 
comfort zone out of my bubble, which was Tunbridge Wells, you then, like you said, it's like the, it's the law of attraction in terms of who you're with and it starts to rub off on you. And you're right in saying like, I've never really thought about that, Paul, but um, it was the same at M10. It was the same at FLF in terms of who I was associated with there and with JP. It was the same thing when we were at the Muscle Mentors in terms of who we were podcasting with, who we were seminaring with, whatever. And it's the same thing now. Like, yeah. you know, I've, we've traveled to like 13 different countries this year. Yeah, it's outrageous. <laughs> I think it might even be more. And it's like every single show I'm at, it's the same kind of thing. It's like who you're associating with, you know, the coaches that I would have, you know, the people in the industry and the coaches that I would have like glorified three or four years ago. I'm now like stood backstage at shows like shoulder to shoulder with. It's like, it's surreal. But I think that's the, I would have never done what I'm doing now five years ago because I would have, it's not even like thinking small. It's just like, I'm the intimidation that I saw previously in those environments. It's like I'm none to now. But you, you realize with every person you've come across, whether that's myself, whether that's Mark Cole, whether mm. that's Luke, whether that's JP, that these guys are just normal. Mm. You initially you've aspired and looked up to them. You're not that normal, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you, I know what you mean. You start to have a appreciation for maybe the hard work and dedication that they're doing. You're like, mm. oh, I can achieve this. And yeah. you probably achieve more mm. than some. But you realize that actually it's, you can achieve anything if you put that hard work in and put the success in. Yeah. And I think with your background, with your determination and then your work ethic mm. and then being around these right people, that's obviously just continued to build into something obviously amazing, which is pro coach now. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. First of all, or person we've missed on there, which we'll almost finish on is give us one key trait around your rock, Hannah, that oh, she allowed you to be successful. Hannah wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> And still I think be in any Wells, normal apparently. any normal female would have left me about five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did a lot. Hannah, Hannah's like the backbone in my life. So like, obviously, everything I do in terms of, you know, just that little voice on your shoulder that says, "Oh, you'll be all right," or "Don't worry about it," or there's a voice of reason, isn't there? Because when we start to think rationally, she's the one that starts to bring me back down. Yeah, um, it, yeah it's. Even, even you know, we I wouldn't be able to live in this house or have the dogs we have or whatever it might be if you know, she does everything that isn't work. She does. She pretty much does. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so yeah, it's it's you're a team, aren't you? But obviously for her, it's like it needs a an incredible amount of patience and uh, patience and understanding from her side to just go through me being. I would what I would imagine feels very distant for a long period of time just because I'm so locked into that. Yeah. And it's not because like I don't love her or I don't want to spend time with her. It's just because like I'm a very obsessive not is it obsessive the right word? I don't know. Yeah, but I'm that. a very okay. driven person that sometimes leads to you being very fixated on certain things. Yeah. Has but, that led to any like conflicts or has it actually been surprisingly easy along the way? Uh, it's, yeah, you've you've always go, go through your the conversations of like I need not, I need to make more of an effort, but I need to be more conscious of the way I'm living my life. But then she's always in a position where it's like when it, when push comes to shove, like she just, she understands. Yeah. And I think even more so now, if we didn't have any of this, we didn't have the business and it wasn't successful. I don't know if it, we'd be in a different situation, but because she can see it's worth, she it. can see the product of what's happening. It's like, well, I understand why you're doing it and understand 
what you're doing it out of. So if you hadn't bought her this kitchen, she'd be <laughs> fucking gone. <laughs> um, so, she, you know, she... But she also still has to have that blind faith yeah, in the 100%. early days yeah. because yeah. How I know previously when we were at M10, you rocked up on a Saturday morning to deliver a PT session to, to Helen and you hadn't slept all night mm. because you'd have X amount of inquiries and signups and you just... Awake or night working more times so, than yeah. should have probably happened. <laughs> so it's all right to say that now yeah. in hindsight, but there was still a matter of months, years, yeah. where she didn't see the return on the investment of what you were. I in remember when we were first at M10, I would um, there'd be like probably four, basically Monday to Saturday, where I'd go in at like eight am or seven am for the first PT client. And she used to work in uh, 200 Degrees Cafe. Yes, and stuff. yes. And she'd obviously, she'd finish work at 3 or 4 p.m. And then she'd be back at the apartment. And I would stay at M10 until like 11 p.m. at night. Just like, I didn't even have, like, some of the nights I didn't even have work. But I was like staring at my computer, like trying to make something of it. Yeah. Um, or like just, you know, whether it was reading reading stuff or listening to stuff. You gave me uh, Brian Walsh's remember Brian Walsh's videos at the start? Yes. Yeah. And it was almost like, I don't know, I don't know if it was a conscious thing, but it was almost like ingraining the, the work ethic of, um, I don't know. It's, I remember, I remember like I can visit vividly remember like sitting in that little assessment room. At, you, remember, you remember the one with the, with the sofa in? Yes. And like some nights I'd like sleep there for like 45 minutes after I finished my last client and then I'd do two more hours work. But like, you know, when we're, when you're at the point of like being brain dead, it's like, I shouldn't be here, <laughs> but I'm here anyway. But still, yeah. And then I'd go home and she'd be like yeah. ready to go to bed. And I'd be like, oh, I'd spend half an hour together. And then she'd go to bed. Um, but I think because I'd done that for so long, it's just like, it's just completely normal now. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a really messed up way of living, but yeah. it works. If yeah. it works, I yeah. suppose that's the, that's the, it works. <laughs> right. yeah. and um, she must've seen something early on, although she wouldn't have been like, get out of Tunbridge Wells. You need to go yeah. to Nottingham. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know other, because M10 was such a big opportunity. It was I think the first couple, where well, the first like six to eight months there was, you just need to understand like it's a big risk because we've gone from being really comfortable to now not having any you know solidity. But we've just got to try and make yeah, it work. You, you've got to go all in. Yeah, you understand there is no balance if you want to have your level of success. Yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up there. It's good insight for part one here. Uh, Callum Raystrick and hopefully you guys have found that interesting hopefully if not blame Cal <laughs> you can find us on all major platforms including Apple Podcast and Google Play if you like what we have to say here then please do leave a rating or review we're only here because of your support so thank you very much for listening if you want everyone else to understand how awesome biomechanics is as well then please do connect them with the PT Project Podcast